welcome back once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast and I'm delighted to be jumping into another creator interview. Uh, your host as always, Alan from Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, joined this evening by Keith, of course, my cohort in questioning. And today we're very excited to be talking to one of the creators of one of our most anticipated image titles of 2022. Based out of Shrewsbury, though, he was a frequent visitor to the oldest comic store in the UK during his university days, Nostalgia and Comics in Birmingham. He has written for Dark Horse, Image, while being one of the most unique and respected artists in the industry on titles from Marvel Comics, Dynamite Entertainment, and even artistic projects outside of the comic industry. He has worked as an artist on projects for writers such as Matt Fraction, G. Willow Wilson, Nick Spencer, Kieran Gillen, and more. And now we come to another creator-owned project that he will be writing and doing the main covers for, Bloodstained Teeth with artist Patrick Reynolds, as well as working with another friend of the store, Ram V, on a very exciting-looking title for DC Comics' Aquaman Andromeda. And that's without mentioning working with Moon Knight himself, Oscar Isaac. Suffice to say, 2022 is going to be a big year for our guest, and we're thoroughly delighted that he's been able to set aside the time to chat to us. So, welcome to the Coffin Heroes podcast, Mr. Christian Ward. Thank you very much for having me. I must say, listening to all that, I'm tired just listening to that. And then I realized, oh, no, I've got to do all that. <laughs> you know, my first question was going to be how's things with you, but you've already answered that. But that's, that's a heck of a, heck of a busy year lined up. Heck of a busy year lined up. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It just, you know, you've, um, I, I mean, you, just things happen and you're like, well, I can't say no to that because that's amazing. And I can't say no to that because that's amazing. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, God, I've got four hours, four hours a night to sleep. Uh, and the rest of the time, I'm I'm drawing or writing comics. <laughs> that's uh, that's what I often find. No is like this, you know, one of the smallest words in the English language, and also one of the hardest to say. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, but it's 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 funny actually. I mean, I I jest. I mean, it, I have actually started to say no, and it's um it's a weird thing when you kind of like in in. I mean, I've been doing comics now for just shy of fifteen years, uh, and like properly professionally for ten. And for the first first few years, you, you you don't want to say no to anything because you really you're like this might be it. I might not. That question may never come again. And even just this year, because of the amount of work I've got on, I, I've literally I've not been able to do. There's things that have been offered to me which obviously I, I won't mention, and um, that have been like I would have gnawed someone's hand off to do, you know, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's but it's a weird to say no to and it's quite nice when you say no to an editor because oh, i can't do that because I, I don't have the time to do it well i always think editors quite like that do you know what i mean rather than going yes 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 and you just do a, a rutch hatchet yeah. job just to get it done um so yeah so i, I have been saying no which is quite nice good i mean i suppose that uh it, it shows them that you know you're 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 in demand it shows them that exactly as you said you want to put the time and effort into, into what they're asking you to do and uh you know, and also, it's kind of empowering for yourself. Yeah. Oh, God, oh God, you've got to carve a little bit of time. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, I mean, for the first time in, I haven't worked weekends since my second daughter was born two years ago. Um, and I used to work weekends. I mean, I used to be like 24-7. I, I mean, I used to be a school teacher. Um, I taught, taught art uh, in a, a school in Bethnal Green in the East End of London for 10 years. And and for five of those, I was kind of like being a comic book artist at the same time. So I'd go to school, 
teach teach like teenagers i was head of department so i'd have to do all the kind of like the meetings after school and be like right this is what we're gonna this is what i'm gonna teach next year <coughs> comics uh, and then, <laughs> um, and then uh, i'd go home and um have something to eat and then just kind of like you know start work and we used to live used to live in a little studio flat in uh, in lewisham i mean literally one room apart from the, the toilet and the kitchen and my my now wife um kind of you know when we got together and she eventually kind of moved in she would have to like and then like my my desk was here and then literally right next to it was was the bed that she would sleep in while i worked for the night so she had to basically (laughs) wear like this pod on her head like kind of like earphones so she couldn't hear me and like kind of like a mask so she couldn't see the the screen and I'd, i'd be working all night you know a couple hours sleep and then and then getting into bed and then going to, going to a day job the next day. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not one of, I mean, you, you know, you have to do it to kind of like get a bit of a foothold in the industry. But I'm not one of these people now that takes any pleasure in saying, oh, I did an all-nighter last night. I mean, all-nighters are so unhealthy. Yep. You, just, you know, you don't want to be promoting that. And, you know, work-life balance is so important. And I mean, as busy as I am, You've got to take time off, you know, because otherwise the quality of your work just suffers. Nobody wants that. And I mean, it's 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 a real big problem in the creative industries that you know tying your 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 self worth to your productivity and yeah, yeah. not being able to say no. But but I mean, you mentioned you mentioned you know that I mean that's quite a quite a journey you've been on, quite a you oh, know school yeah. teacher to to artists. But I mean, even even more recently, you know, given the I guess the upside down nature of the world these last couple of years. Uh, we always like to ask her, you know, about your your working pattern over that time. You know, did you notice any changes? Did you suddenly have time to work on those personal projects a bit more, or was it more sort of business as usual for you? Um, well, it was. I mean, like, obviously, you have the the existential dread that kind of floated around just above your head constantly. Uh, and then when we were expecting our second, our second child, of course. Uh, and she was born like, like right in the middle of it. So that was interesting. Um, and then we moved house and that was interesting. But, um, I mean, I think when it all kicked off, I was working on Invisible Kingdom with Willow, a dog horse with Cam Berger. And, uh, we got the, we got an email because all the, the printing presses just shut down. Cause when it all kicked off, we were like, I'll be fine. I can work from home. It's not going to not going to affect us. We'll be fine. And then obviously printing presses, jug, 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 all shut down. And then suddenly you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Everything's just dominoes here. Everything's really fragile. And one thing goes and it all goes. So we got a bit wobbly. Yeah, Dark Horse said, put your pencils down because we're, we're not going any further right now. And then I'd had an email like a couple of weeks before from Legendary. And they're saying, oh, we just wanted to know if you'd be interested in, in a project. Um, uh, there's a guy, uh, there's this guy called Oscar Isaac, who uh, really likes your stuff. He's putting together a project. And would you be interested? And I remember, like, I sort of said to uh, to Catherine, I said, you will never believe who who's, who I've just been emailed about a project with. Because we're both like big Oscar Isaac fans. But I turned it down. It was really weird. Like, I was like, really like a big fan of, of him, you know telling me i'm a big fan of him and very very flattered and um, but i'm at the stage now where i kind of want to 
if I'm going to work on something, I kind of want to have, I kind of want to own it. If I'm going to create something. Um, so I, I, I said no to them. So they were, you know, very nice. And then obviously kind of like, you know, two weeks later, the, the, the printing presses shut down. And I was like, oh God, this is a bit of a worry. Um, and then they just, they just happened to email me back and be like, well, what about if we did this? And what about if we did that? And I was, I was a bit like, oh, you know, this is a, could be a good project to sort of do. And, um, and they were like, we just get on the phone, get on a, like a Zoom call with, with Oscar and then just make a decision then. I said to Catherine, my wife, oh, I've got to have a Zoom call with Oscar Isaac. And she says, you're 100% going to say yes. And I'm like, I am not. I've got <laughs> principles. I'm not going to say a yes to Oscar Isaac. Who does he think he is? I'm going to do like, and literally, my God. And he came on the screen. I know everyone probably says this about like kind of like actors or celebrities or whatever, but he was the nicest person. I honestly, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone nicer. And it was, you, you can't fake that. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you, and I was like, oh my God, he's so charming and so lovely. And he's looking at me in my eyes and I, and, and like, I think I love him. <laughs> like it was like, oh my god! And then he sort of told me about the project, um, this book called Head Wounds, which is coming out, I believe, in June. And um, I thought, like, oh shit, it's it's quite good. And that, I, and that's always the worst thing, like when you kind of like you've gone, oh, I'm not going to do that because of these reasons. And then someone's like, oh, uh, it turns out to be a really good idea or good story. And you're like, oh. And then you, your brain does this thing where it starts to imagine what it's going to look like. And I always know that's the project that I want to do. If my brain starts going, this is what it's going to look like, then it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And it's going to visually do this. <laughs> so, I was, so I was just like, oh, bollocks to it. I'll, yeah, I'll do it. And obviously I had to then go with my towel between my legs and go, yeah, Catherine, I've, I've said yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but so so it was weird. So we, for for like um, we had this thing for like a big chunk of the the when we were in lockdown, where every week I was having Zoom calls with Oscar because he wasn't working. I mean, it was that's why it kind of happened because obviously he was not shooting whatever he was going to be shooting at the time. And then it was it, it, um, Brian Bocello was who who got brought on as the writer. And then two of Oscar's friends who were kind of the original kind of, um, they came up with the story initially. And then Oscar's manager, uh, a chap called, a really funny chap called uh, Jason Spire, Spires. Um, and uh, yeah, we just, we, we'd get on Zoom. And it was, it's what I would imagine working in TV was like, it was almost like a, a writer's room. And I was kind of brought in and, and we kind of shaped the story together and what the character would be and, and, and then obviously what he would look like. Um, and then, you know, I'd be sending them drawings and it, it we'd build it up. And then, um, yeah, so a lot of lockdown was spent doing that book, which is obviously now going to be coming out in June. Um, it took a while for it to kind of work its way through the kind of the mechanics of, of, of Legendary's publishing house. Um, but yes, it was, um, it was really surreal and like, and quite nice because quite distracting because how often do you get to sort of have a kind of, you know, 
interaction or relationship with somebody like that of that level and obviously now he's even bigger with Moon Knight and everything uh, um, so it was very it was it was it's very strange to look, 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 look back on that period which was obviously so horrendous for so many people and, and so scary in some ways and, and it's and look back on it quite fondly because this quite remarkable very surreal strange thing happened where for a period of time you know I actually genuinely felt like Oscar's friend. It was really nice. <laughs> Just reply to me now, though. <laughs> oh no! What what did you do over lockdown, Christian? I hung out with Midnight. <laughs> that doesn't sound Lovely. like a bad lockdown at all. I mean, I I have this image of of your wife standing by the door during that phone call, just looking at you, going, "He's weakening. He's weakening." He, there you go he's nodding he said yes he said yes I'm sorry dear I don't even remember saying yes but I believe I yeah, did I, I think I said yes <laughs> why have you taken your top off I don't know you saw that man's eyes you saw those eyes it's really funny actually one thing that I've just remembered like obviously we're not part of the record, but what we were recording but when you guys pointed out the uh the akira box set on my shelf behind me oscar did the exact same thing and that's when i knew i was just like oh he's real do you know what i mean it, <laughs> it wasn't like a kind of lots of celebrities do and actors do graphic novels and stuff and, and, and we all know why they do it you know it's a kind of like a prestige thing or kind of like a you know just um just for them sort of stuff but it was it was um he started pointing out like things that he could see on my shelf that only if you were like a geek, you, would you know, if you were into that yeah, kind of yeah. culture, you'd know. Uh, and then he was just like, he sort of like, I mean, hopefully you're all right with me saying this, Oscar. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, he turned off the uh, the camera. He said, "Hang on," and we, the rest of us were chatting. And then he turned it back on in a completely different room because he wanted to show me all of his toys and original Street Fighter Two. Uh, arcade cabinet. Oh wow! I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing! <laughs> and, uh, I was like, so cool. While I would hope that Oscar Isaac is listening to our podcast, I don't think it's very likely, Christian. So I don't think you've to worry about. I, I can always send him the link. Yes. You never know. <laughs> if you want to get this podcast to Midnight himself, we will not complain at all. Ah, <laughs> uh, brilliant, good stuff, brilliant. But yeah, to, to circle back to yourself, I mean, you're you're obviously an accomplished artist in a lot of different fields. You know, I've, you've worked on album art, movie posters. Absolutely love the Looper poster, by the way. Great movie. Okay, uh, you. You've worked for top-level magazines, newspapers. But of course, we're here to chat comics. So, I mean, going back to the very start, I mean, do you remember any specific comics that got you into the art form? Well, I mean, like everyone, I mean, everyone in my sort of like age i mean i think transformers was a big thing in the 80s do you know what i mean like being pushed to the letterbox by the postboy um like every saturday morning and just that was that was my first long form comic where i actually read it i mean up to that point i've got like 2000 ad annuals at christmas and i've got like kind of like my dad would buy me comics from the new my dad was a, a shift worker for good years good years actually making tires so he would very often kind of come home in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning. And we'd go weeks without really seeing him because of his shift patterns. And uh, uh, one thing he would always do is he'd go to newsagents on the way home to pick up his paper or whatever. And he'd pick me up a kind of like a, a comic. And so I'd wake up in the morning and it'd be left like 
at the bottom of the stairs and stuff. And just little things like that kind of really foster your your love in the in the in the medium in the comics. So really, it was just you know Batman, Spider Man, Hulk. Those were the, the trinity, really. But I I was too young to read them. It was flicking through and looking at the pictures. And then Transformers was the first thing that I read that I got the sense of a big picture, the kind of the soap opera of it all. And that was when I realised I wanted to be a comic book artist. And we're talking when I was, you know, 13, 14. And then went away from comics because everyone told me that's not a thing that real people do. And um, and then later on, it was picking up a copy of Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison and Dave McKee. And that was the thing that just, it was literally like a fire lit when I kind of realized that comics don't have to be the kind of you know ink pencil ink color and that it could be this far broader artistic expression and that's when I started to be like oh actually I really want to do this now but then it was many years later once I'd done the teaching and everything I finally circled back I'm sorry that's my ring somebody's at the door I'll turn that off um, so, uh, it's Oscar Isaac uh, turning up for you telling yeah, that story you've been talking about me again <laughs> <laughs> we are not friends stop telling people <laughs> uh, brilliant I remember I remember those uh, those UK reprints of the Transformers comics very very fondly and uh, actually whenever you mention it uh, I recall the, uh, there was a like a sticker album everybody else was collecting yeah. football stickers and i was collecting transformer stickers <laughs> that's it singling yourself out straight away and of course Absolutely. Like, you, you've got the, the 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 thing behind your secret wars was another thing and that was again like seeing kind of like the characters coming together and be like <gasps> like oh yeah that's yeah. uh well that, that was a big one for me so uh, yeah that hence it hence it being on the on the, the wall behind me but I mean, I suppose it's an interesting question for anybody in the industry. Um, and I guess you've, you've maybe part answered it already, if we can read in. But as a reader, uh, you know, are you would you consider yourself a DC guy, a Marvel guy, an indie guy? And has that changed over time? I mean, I think I think really, if you love comics, aren't you a bit of everything? And I think to sort of just to be pigeonholed into one feels a bit limiting. Um, I mean, I would say that my I probably lean more towards DC because the DC comics made such a profound impact on me more so than like Marvel comics but then obviously when I got back into comics and got back into reading comics as a fan when I was you know late 20s it wasn't DC that brought me back in it wasn't Marvel that brought me back in it was you know image that and just reading stories that were different and exciting and unpredictable and didn't necessarily follow the structure of superhero comics which are fantastic and i still read them now but you always know what you're going to get and that's part of the fun of them um so but yeah i kind of dipped my toe in in an indie image dc marvel but i think hand on heart i've got a real kind of dc fanboy kind of buried in me somewhere um, do you do you still get a chance to read a lot, or yeah, not as much as I would like? I mean, I, mean, I don't know if you can see that pile there. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, just I try. I try to read as much as I can, but you just when you're, you know, I mean, like we've already sort of touched on it. When you're working as much as I am, um, I kind of roll into bed at you know one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and you think, well, I, I don't have the mental capacity to kind of hold a story in anymore. That being said, I mean, there were a few things that I make time for um, that I do read. Um, but there's there's not as much now that there used to be five years ago. I mean, I still buy comics on a regular basis, but they because you you know it's a it's a thing that excites me. But they do tend to sit unread, um, um, or I'll very often read an issue one and then keep picking it up, and then I won't read it then, even though I'm buying the single issues until the trade's collected, and then I won't read that either. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> No, I'm waiting for a nice big holiday so that I can take, you know, take a few with me. But yeah. uh, that's a long way off. Absolutely moment. agree. You know, I'm, uh, you know, even heading down to heading down to, to, to Cork this weekend or whatever, and we'll be we'll be hanging out. You know, my girlfriend's family will be there, but I'll still have a huge pile of comics with me in the hope that I might get a chance yeah, to sit yeah. quietly and read them. <laughs> yeah. See, so you 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 always got to pick your moments. I mean, I was away recently with my other half, Vicky. I was over with her parents. She's from England, so. We rented out this sort of family cottage in the middle of nowhere, you know, to spend family time. We the first time we hadn't seen them since lockdown. We were going to announce the pregnancy and so forth. That didn't stop me bringing the Ultimate Spider-Man Volume One, <laughs> and I read that whole thing <laughs> over the weekend because I had nice. never read it. But nice. you got to pick your moments. You got to pick your moments. But it's yeah. it's interesting you say the the hab the habit of it. You know, I remember when we chatted to Rodney Barnes as well, uh, brilliant writer, loving Philadelphia. And he was saying how every Wednesday he has to go to the comic shop. He'll buy 25 issues. He'll come home. He'll bag and board them. He'll put them in a box and forget about them. And then do the same thing the week after. Yeah. You know, anybody who yeah. says I comics miss... are cheaper than a drug habit is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I, I used to, I miss that physical, you know, going to a comic book store on a Wednesday. Well, what used to be Thursday and then it shifted to Wednesday. I mean, gosh in Soho in London was always my store. I mean, once I moved to London and before that, as you mentioned, nostalgia and comics in, in Birmingham. And there's something that there's just a real community to it. And I honestly, and I've said this time and time again, you know, I wouldn't be a comic book creator if it wasn't for gosh, like it just wouldn't be mm -hmm. because not only did they foster the love of the medium and the love of comics, but also they, they were really supportive of me as they are of many creators, uh, you know, in London. I mean, when I moved there, pen literally penniless and like, you know, struggling, they were very kind and very kind of uh, encouraging to me. So I always think that that's, that's such a big part of the industry. And it's why, you know, it's important to, as a creator to sort of always remember that, that you, know, you guys, you know, comic book stores, you, you're the root of it all. Um, and you know it has you, there has to be this kind of like you know relationship where we're all working together towards the you know for the love of comics. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's something we promote as much as possible in our stores. Community, community, community. You know, it's you'll always mm -hmm. have someone to talk to in store, and you'll always have common ground yeah. with your with your you know love of the industry. So. Um, but yeah, just to bring it back a little bit, just to, you you touched on it a little bit with you know Arkham Asylum and Dave McKean. I mean, what other artists would you say had the biggest impact on you? You know, was you were saying that you know away from that traditional style, you know, is what what you were drawn to. So were there, were there others alongside Dave McKean who made a made a big impression? Um, 
I mean, I, I think kind of one of the big books that I was like, wow, uh, when I got it at Christmas one year, I can't remember how old what I would have been. I probably would have been about 16, um, maybe a tad older. It was um, The Judgment in Gotham by uh, was Alan Grant that wrote that and Simon Beasley. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, see, you know, Beasley's art was just, again, just so flamboyant and heavy metal. And that, that kind of definitely stuck with me. But going up to more kind of, as I kind of became a reader, um, Frank Quietly, even though my work looks very different from, from Frank's, it, his sense of storytelling and, you know, how he sets a scene and his sense of design and, and just how he uses a page and how he illustrates action and time on a page was something that I'd never really seen before. And when I really started to understand the mechanics of comics, I became more and more impressed by what he did and what he still does. Um, so he's always been a big influence on me. Maybe not influence is the right word, but inspiration, like to sort of try and aim for that level of storytelling in my work, even though aesthetically we were very different. Let's chat a wee bit about your your process, Christian. And uh, I mean, you have mentioned that, you know, I guess it sounds like from fairly early on you had a you had a a goal to get into comics and and so forth. But how did you how did you actually break into the industry? What was your the first project that you worked on? Like I say, I, I, I'd given up. I didn't expect it to happen because I didn't really think it was a tangible thing. Um, and I, I, I'd started to try and get into illustration. That, that felt like a, a kind of career that I could have adjacently to the comics that I could make a, a living out of. But that didn't really work. So I went into teaching. And then it was, it was the early 2000s. So everyone was jumping online and going on forums and, and whatnot. And I was on a uh, Jinx World forum, which was for Bendis' books. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there was a art an art competition to draw some powers fan art. I mean, we're talking maybe 2004, something like that. Maybe even a bit earlier. And I did I did this two pieces of uh, fan art for the characters in powers. And I and I it was only a forum, but I won the competition. I caught the eye of a, a guy there uh, who was a, another comic a comic book artist called Scott Wagner. Who draws Atomic Robo? Mm. And still, and amazingly, still draws Atomic Robo. And we just, we kind of got talking, and we actually got talking over AIM, and that tells you how long ago it was over, you know, AOL instant messenger. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so we just, and we got chatting, and we got to know each other. And uh, and back then, he was launching Atomic Robo with his friend Brian, Brian Cleveland, who was writing it, and. They were looking for short comics to go in the back of each issue. And he asked me, he said, do you want to do one? And I, I thought, well, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll do one. Five pages, if I recall correctly. And it must they must have taken me the best part of four months to do these five pages. I mean, like, and I look back and I think, how? How did I spend so long? But you think about every little thing. Oh, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect. And I did these five pages. And it it kind of made 
obviously within the indus in this sphere it made a bit of a splash and the, and the book was really well received i mean atomic robot was brilliant i still love it and and then uh, i got contacted by a guy called nate edmondson um who asked me if i wanted to do a book we pitched a book to uh to image and we did a book called olympus which is like i whenever i talk about my stuff i always i always say oh don't don't buy that one it's not very good but i cut my teeth on it you know it's it's the first thing i did and i was and that was the thing i was working on from you know eight o'clock at night to you know three in the morning and amazingly like i was never late never late with that book even having the full-time job alongside it and then i just i just had the taste for it then just doing that those four issues and it, it people really responded to it i mean i look back on it and think oh it's so rough and sketchy and i was learning my way literally on every page working out what i wanted to do and i was kind of visually throwing everything at it because then I was like, well, I might not get another chance. There might not be another comic. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw everything at it. And from that, I, I had a, I mean, it was, it was me, um, Nick Spencer, and some guy called Jonathan Hickman. I don't know if have you heard of him. Um, and we were the three of us were having like have debut books out at Image at the same time. So it was Olympus. Existence 2.0 and um, uh, Nightly News. And so we all, the three of us, kind of got, got to know each other. And then to this day, I always go, oh, God. Me and Jonathan were going to work together and do a book together. And me and Nick wanted to do a book together. And it's not that I chose Nick over John. I, did, I didn't. It was more that it just worked out that way. And obviously, like, John was like, woo. <laughs> John, remember me? Was... Remember me from ten years ago? Um, so, um, so yeah. So I did a. So then me and Nick did a book, which was uh, uh, the Infinite Vacation, and then that caught the eye uh, of a Mister Matt Faction, and uh, he and this was. I'd gone into Twitter at this point. So I owe a lot of my, my kind of career to kind of essentially social media, the internet. And Matt kind of sent me a message and was, I really love this book. Do you want to do something? And I like, I've, ne- I've not been starstruck much in my life. But like meeting Matt and talking with Matt for the first time was it was absolutely mind-blowing to me. I mean, I found it really difficult. I remember he came over, when we first started talking, he just happened to be coming over to Thought Bubble. So I went to Thought Bubble to meet him, and I was so nervous. I couldn't even talk to the guy. I was, I, and I mean, I'm relatively, I can talk to people. I, I don't get shy, but like, I couldn't talk to him. I got really obsessed that my hat looked weird on my head. I'm moving it around. It's got a lot cool. It's massive. It's got a lot cool like this. Um, so yeah, and then, then um, and then I did uh, I did Odyssey with with Matt. Had a little mini breakdown doing it um, because it was I kind of crumbled a little bit under the pressure of um, of doing a book. Because you know when you do a book that you really you think oh this is my big break and that's what i built it up to in my head is this book's gonna make or break me and at the time I, I beforehand i'd been working as a teacher 
and it was the third, first time I didn't make any money on Odyssey. I mean, I think like we're talking like hundreds of dollars. That's it. I made a little bit of money on Infinite Vacation, but again, I think the whole series. I think I made about three thousand. It may be, you know, it's certainly not livable money for the amount of time you you're working on these books. And uh, because I was working with Matt, there was there was a, a certain guarantee of what well, the base is going to be here, and that that base is going to be enough to live on. So I had essentially, I mean, Image don't pay um, page rates as such, but we had a kind of essentially a guarantee of a certain amount. So I knew I can quit the teaching, and this is it. Oh. My first step out into being a proper professional comic book artist, and I'm going to do it. And um, I crumbled under the pressure. Like it was really difficult to sort of get out of my own head because all I would see, Matt was amazing and he was just like, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And all I would see is the flaws. But I can't, you know, and I'd compare it, like Saga had just come out. He'd just done Hawkeye. And, and then he'd just done Sex Criminals with Chip. And like Odyssey was the next thing. And so everyone was conflating, well, it's going to be as big as Hawkeye and it's going to be a combination of sex criminals and saga. So it's going to be even bigger than all those three things. And there was all this attention on me. And I was just like, they're going to look at my work and be like, this isn't of that level. This is so weird and sketchy and, you know, clumsy and different. And, um, yeah, it wasn't, I, I loved working with man. I'd love to work with him again. And he was amazing, but it was, it was a very in my head time. And once I'd kind of got out of my head and got through that period and like, and plowed through, it was fine. It was, I'd got through it. Like on the first, I was kind of past it on the first couple of issues. And then once it was out, we got a, we got a fan base that was, Although it wasn't huge, it certainly wasn't Saga or Sex Criminals numbers. It was very passionate. I mean, I saw my first two people cosplayed in like kind of full cosplay for characters. And those characters I designed for that, they were not easy cosplay designs. So that was mind-blowing. Um, and that was, you know, a real seminal moment and really kind of set me on my way Um in the industry really and it's still a very i mean to this day people ask me all the time is it coming back so you know it's very beloved talking about odyssey i mean i i was flicking through issue one of it today and whose idea was the ridiculously large fold-out image that was you know it it must have folded out about eight times in each direction i mean that book was nothing if not ambitious oh it was hugely ambitious matt it was matt's idea because he just and it was, he wanted to give, he really thought I was going to be like the second coming in comics. Like he really did. He just like, you're, he thought I'd be like walking home with like armfuls of Eisner's and, you know, for Odyssey. And um, he wanted to give me, Odyssey was all about, and this is, this says a lot about him as a person. He's, he's very giving and he cares a lot about people and his collaborators people that he you know he respects and admires and he wanted to give me the biggest platform he could think of which is why he chose to obviously setting it in space and and you know make it really grand and huge stage and theater for me and he actually he wanted it to be 
10 pages folded out because he'd read he the the record is uh, the ultimate two that brian hitch and, and mark miller did with that fold out with all the, the gods and everything fighting them. i think they were gods or whatever they were he wanted to beat that because he wanted us to have this record but it, just, it was turned out it wasn't possible eight was the the limit but my god i remember doing it it was it was insane because at the time I was working analog, and I, and then I was scanning the drawings into my computer and then and color it, and it was um, and because I hadn't really started earning yet, the, the machine I had wasn't like a top top spec machine. It was it did the job, but only just. And I scanned in this this thing. You have to work at quite a high resolution if you want to, particularly because my I, I don't ink. I work in pencils, and then I I would bump up the levels to make them look like zinc. So you, I had to scan in at quite a high resolution. And it was this, I was working on the machine, it was like, <laughs> and like, I'd make a mark and it'd be like, Aah. I mean, I think that spread probably took two weeks to do. But, but most of that was me just sat there like, come on, I've just made one line. How have you been doing <laughs> and then you get the wheel. Oh my god, I've just rubbed something out of this wheel. Wheel of death. Um <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, every now and again, I mean obviously me and Matt talk every now and again and kind of catch up with each other. And I, I do say, What do you think? Should we should we should do it again? Should we do it again? But it was it was such a hard book even for him. I mean, not just for me drawing it. I remember he showed me when I was over for Rose City once and we kinda of hung out in person at Lamont. He showed me one of his his kind of notebooks. He had a notebook per issue, and it was him breaking down the the kind of the verse and the references and the structure of it. And there was so much work, and I really wanted him to put some of that in the back matter of the big hardcover we did because I don't think people realise quite how much he spent probably as much time writing it as I did drawing it, which is a really unusual balance between writer and, and an artist in comics and he really put a lot of work in that so really cool because as beloved as it was because the sales weren't mind-blowing you know they were fine um it just it just financially it was it was difficult to kind of move on especially like with myself having a family wanting to buy a house and stuff it just wasn't didn't quite cut the, the you know didn't quite do it but um one day it might be like our passion project that we'll come back and do when we're like in our sixties and we want to like do like a really trippy weird thing with lots of penises and multiple boobs. Which is basically, <laughs> what it was. Yeah, well, here, here's hoping. Here's hoping. <laughs> well, what we'll do is we'll 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 try and get Matt onto this uh, onto this podcast with us, and we'll you know. Give him a the big push for Odyssey and just tell him how much we love it. Put <laughs> yeah. the idea back in yeah. his head. You'll get a little phone call the next day. I mean, yeah. just talk, yeah. just talking about your process a little bit. I mean, you were saying you used to be more analog, but now you you would have a preference more for digital. Now, would would you say that's fair? I mean, do you think the benefits outweigh the the drawbacks going digital over traditional art these days? Hugely. I'm a far better artist because of it. And it was when I realised. I mean, this is twofold. It, one, it's speed. And when you're a comic book artist, it's all about speed, you know. And, you, and there's a 
you can't be too precious about the art that you're doing as a comic book artist because it's literally like, you know, you've got to hit your deadlines. You've got to be like bang, 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 bang. And it's, I came to the realization that each panel and each page was no more important than the whole story and that you had to stand back and read the whole story. And as long as what you did was in service of the story and you hit your dramatical points and you made it, you, you know, you, you, you connected with the audience, you don't have to labor over a single page or labor over a single panel, which you, I found I tended to do because I was physically drawing it. But digital kind of freed me up. So that was one, one plus for it. But the other plus was I was able to do things visually that I couldn't do as a traditional artist. It was a, before it was pencils were scanned in and then it, it was very much a layer of pencils and a layer of color and then trying to kind of meld them. But when it was all happening within the computer, there was a kind of meshing of the two things. So I was no longer, okay, that's my pencil layer. That's my line and that's my color. It was just all one. And when I was at university, I kind of fell in love with, with painting, kind of more fine art painting. So digital art to me feels more akin to that. There's a sense of, it's very instinctive when I'm, when I'm doing a page that I will just kind of and I don't mean it's to sound pretentious, but I tend to just go with the flow. I have a vague sense of what it's going to look like, but I allow the textures and the and the kind of digital paint and the colours to kind of like form as I'm as I'm doing them. And and I don't think I'd be able to do that traditionally. I think I'd be too because there's a sense of because I can you know delete or take a step back because the, it's. You, you can change and tweak and there's there's no mistakes because all mistakes can be reversed gives you a sense of freedom that i wouldn't necessarily have as a physical artist and so i think it's made me a better artist because of that freedom and you know i have no fear of failure because it doesn't exist because i can just reverse it well sure let's let's move away from from your career so far and look at your upcoming work you know we're we're obviously very excited about a project coming up very soon from you you know let's let's talk the up, upcoming bloodstained teeth i mean give us your elevator pitch for it. tell us why we should buy this okay. book bloodstained teeth is a noir hard bloody crime saga but with vampires and it it proposes a world where there is a secret cabal of billionaire vampires who are not just interested in our blood, but they're interested in our money because immortality is not cheap. Yeah. And within this world, we have a character, a slack of vampire who kind of exists within the between the world of vampires and the worlds of humans. And he has realized that quite a good way to make a living is to sell his bite so he'll take a bite of somebody and he'll turn him into a vampire in exchange for money and that's how he makes his living and he creates what we call in the world sips so he takes a, just a sip of their blood and that's what they become they become a vampire which is a, a derogative term in the world of vampires for a vampire that's not that wasn't born one they, they are a sip so there's a there's a level of kind of into vampire kind of racism and class warfare 
with crime and action and thrills and horror and a little bit of social commentary, all with the amazing artwork of the very cinematic Patrick, Patrick Reynolds and the, the, the psychedelic colours of Heather Moore and the amazing letters from Hassan. And it's brilliant. Buy it. Out April 27th in all good comic stores, especially yours. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. Brilliant. Brilliant. What a, what a pitch. And, uh, and we've managed to get to the top floor of the building, and that was brilliant. <laughs> um, actually, the, something I read today, I can't remember, it had the you know the first three or four pages in the, you know, in the bag. It may have been uh, Nita Hawes Nightmare blog uh, or, or, oh, or nice. something like that. I can't remember. And uh, they, they, they read the first four pages, certainly read and look fantastic. So, Oh, thank you. Very much looking forward to, to the whole thing oh, and the concept. I am, I, I am so excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we've, um, it's weird, you know, because you spend your whole life being an artist. And I I actually think, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll talk about Aquaman in a minute, but um, this, this feels like the most exciting, anticipated book I've ever done. And I've only drawn the covers. I was going to be writing this all way easier. <laughs> were you uh, were you tempted to be an artist in this title, or are you more interested in developing yourself as a writer? Well, um, yes, I was initially. So basically, like, the plan was always to be a solo creator, kind of like a Paul Pope type, um, who just wrote, wrote and drew, drew his own work, and. Uh, and I just kept getting offers of like, obviously there was Matt and then there was working with Saladin on Black Bolt. And then there was working with, you know, Jason for a few issues of Thor and, uh, and then Willow on Invisible Kingdom. You know, I was lucky enough and privileged enough to be offered like real titans of the industry to work with. You don't turn that down. And also you learn from them. You learn from working with the greats and you, you know, you pick up things and you, you, you realize what works and what doesn't. But I realized that if I wanted to draw and write my own comics, I'd be, it would be, we're talking like five years down the line. And I, I came to the, I had an epiphany that I, I realized I couldn't be as precious about it. And I got like tons of ideas, as many creators do. And I thought, well, you know, if I don't start now, you know, I'm 45. If I didn't start doing it, you know, I didn't want to be, I was always bending Catherine's ear going, oh, I've got this great idea for a story. And she'd always sit there and go, yeah, yeah, no, it's very good. And I knew, <laughs> oh, God, she's doing that because I'm never going to do it. And I didn't want to be that person that always says, I've oh, got this great idea. And then never doing it. Because we all we all yeah, have that period, do don't we? We all, we all do it. I'm, got, I'm falling into that trap and I'm going to fall into that trap. And it's because of my pride. Because I, I want to be, I want to be everything. Yeah. I want to control it. But that's not what comics is. It's about collaboration. So when I uh, I got chatting to to Sammy Cavella, who I did Machine Gun Wizards with, and um, I said I've got this idea for a comic, and I think you'd be great for it because he worked with Saladin on on Abbott, so I, I kind of got to know him through that because I just worked with Saladin on the uh, Black Bomb. And Sammy really loved it. We pitched it to Dark Horse, and they really loved it. It was the easiest thing I've ever pitched, and it just happened. Um, and it was great. And I realized how much, one, how much I loved being a writer for an artist, but two, how art, how writers have all the fun. 
because you there's, there's a magic to it. And I didn't think this magic would apply to me as an artist because I thought, well, I know how the sausage is made. So there is no magic. I, I do it every day. But there is because you send the script out and then an artist of Sammy's caliber and then now of Patrick's caliber, and they send you their work back. And it's so mind-blowing to think two weeks ago you were words and before that you were thoughts in my head and I was picturing these characters and now I'm reading a story about them. It's incredible and it's really addictive to see that um, because it's a buzz that you don't get if you draw it yourself. Um, so that's kind of, but you are right. Initially I was thinking that the plus nine teeth was going to be the thing that I was going to do next because it was, it felt like a really solid idea. I was really excited about it. I had a really strong idea of where it begins, what the middle is, what the end is, what the themes are, what the characters are on the pace and everything and the tone. But the, it occurred to me that the tone and the pace and, and everything was not really what I was known for, or if I was being honest, what I would enjoy drawing. Um, because it needed to, because it reflects our world and it's a mirror put up to our world. It needs to have a sense of realism that my work doesn't have. That's fine. I, I exist in the different realm and that's what I do. Um, and there are ideas that I have that I want to write that will fit that. And when I realized that actually it would be better suited to have an artist who brings a sense of realism to it that makes this feel like a wholly believable world was when I kind of started to look for, for artists. And that's when I found Patrick um, because he'd just done the mask with Chris Cantwell. And I was like, well, this this is the guy. Um, and then he loved the idea. We kind of hit it off. And then the rest, as they say, is history. Um, yeah. Congratulations on uh, on on over overcoming that, you know, that critical mass and, and actually, yeah. you know, getting the thing out. And, and I hope Catherine is proud. <laughs> I don't know. She's downstairs. So maybe she just <laughs> she just goes yes, love, whatever, love. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a difficult thing to do to put yourself out there a different way. So yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, we're really we're really looking forward to it. Can't wait. Oh, Can't thank wait. you. Well, thank you for thank you for the support. It, no, I mean, like, we've had we've had so much support and buzz from people. It's really like it's really humbling um and just really exciting and we, we we are genuinely really proud of it i'm really proud of it i'm really proud of the work my, my, my the, the team that we've put together is doing you know everyone is bringing their own game to it everyone really enjoys working on it um and to see i mean it's great for patrick because he's he's such a lovely guy i don't know if you guys have ever interacted with him but he's very um he's very modest and doesn't realise how good he is, um, which is probably why I, I managed to ensnare him so quickly and easily. Um, and he, like, you know, and every time I'm talking to him, I'm like, people are losing their shit over this, mate. They, people are loving it. And he's like, oh, really? Are they? Oh, no. Are they? Oh, no. And, and it's weird, because, you know, going back to, like, you know, talking about how I, I, how I was on Odyssey, like I can see a bit of me, old me and Patrick now. Not that he's having a breakdown or anything, but there's the, there's that I can see those insecurities and those things that all a lot of artists have. So it's it's been really nice to see people be so excited about it and be talking about it. And and what's what's really cool 
is I'm seeing people talking about it outside of my my bubble, like people that don't follow me on Twitter, that don't follow me on Instagram. They've just come across it completely separately, found it like like you did earlier, and it's like you know, a, an ad in another comic, um, and that to me tells me that we're onto something and and you know and it's patrick and heather who are, are the face fronting of that you know it's my ideas are in the back and it's it's them that are selling the ideas um and so that's been really nice to see him get a bit of a boost and to sort of like realize that he's amazing because he really is well at least you get to scratch that or scratch that creative itch with doing covers i suppose and yeah. uh, we, we had this recently, we chatted with Declan Shelby, and obviously he has time before time, you know, creator and project yeah. he writes on, but he, he still found a way around it. I think it was issue six, he fully drew, because I don't think he could fully step away from it, so <laughs> you sound like you've got it more under control and that you can uh, oh, stick no, to being a writer. Really, and That's really bad, actually. I've got to say then, there is an issue coming out that I'm drawing. <laughs> <laughs> You artists are all the same. You just can't step away. <laughs> but no, it's great to see. I mean, it's, uh, I suppose when you create something, you know, there is, a, a, as wonderful as I'm sure Patrick's artwork is, and we've seen previews of it, it's gorgeous, it's vibrant, it's colorful, it's, as you say, it's just one step away from, you know, our own world. But in your own mind, there's always got to be a part of you that writes something that goes, I'd quite like to draw that, you know. Well, I mean, it's funny, it, it, there is, but you also have to, because as I'm writing a script, I can't help but picture it and see, you know, and I start to lay out, okay, that panel would be there and, and we'd see that character there and that, that would be there. And you visualise the whole thing and you have to step back. I mean, I, I kind of hired um, Devantos as, as our editor on this because I wanted her to be like the editor. I didn't want to become the editor and like, control everything and be like this is how it's got to be because it's it has to be organic and it has to and it has to you know patrick has to be the artist and he has to have ownership over it and he has to do it his way i mean every now and again there might be a, i might pass him a note because there's some story specific or, or character specific that maybe i haven't made myself clear in a script but other than that it, it's got to be his artistic decisions and his direction that he's taking it which is wholly different to what I would do. Um, I mean, the, the thing that, that the issue that I'm going to be doing, this is an exclusive guy. No, no one knows this. Yet. Fantastic. The, um, the, uh, there's a sequence that I'm going to do in an issue that we realized needed to be visually different um, to the rest of the book. And it just made sense and for me to do that. And it, it also gave, I mean, Patrick's put in so much time and effort into it every single page and making this really beautiful it was just i mean we're well ahead he's working on issue um he's working on issue seven now so we, we are you know we're not there's no threat of being late or anything like that but at the same time he's he he's working very intensively so i, I felt like it would give him a bit of a breather because he moved house and stuff there was stuff that he had to do so i thought well if i do 10 pages 12 pages in in this one issue it bought him some time to sort of do stuff that he needed to do and so that was a big bigger part of it other than my ego which is being fed <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's nice it's nice that you know having your back 
background as an artist, you have that that empathy and that understanding, you know. So it's yeah. and you know, as a reader, sometimes you know, a change in artist within an issue can be jarring. But if, if the change in art follows, you know, for example, it's a flashback or a flash forward or a, you know what I mean? It's 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 nowhere near as jarring. So it sounds like you have you, you know exactly uh, what you're exactly oh, what you're at. It's it's I mean I, I can't say too much at this point, but the, the we um we share a page there's a transitional page that we share that if i do say so myself chef's oh, kiss, chef's kiss. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you've worked obviously uh with image before um mm-hmm. you know we mentioned infinite vacation with expense earlier on but why was image the perfect home for bloodstained teeth i just i i've been wanting to come back to image for years i mean i loved i obviously i've worked at dark horse and machine gun wizards and and um, in uh, Invisible Kingdom, they were great. You know, I really loved Dark Horse, and they were very supportive. Um, and I, you know, I'll 100% would do another book with them at some point. But Image, Image, are what made me. You know, I wouldn't be anyone without Image. And it felt that when you do a book at Image, you take all the risk on yourself. You know, it's your book. You don't share it with a publisher. You, they don't share any of the kind of profits or anything like that. It's your book. And so if you have a hit, it's it's amazing because it's yours. And, you you know, Image are, like, very happy for you. And they take what they need to take to sort of, you know, make it a, a viable business for them. But they don't take a share of the profits. So that's fantastic. And you have this ownership of this thing. But obviously the, the, the flip side is if it doesn't work and if it doesn't sell, then you bear that cost and... and you know, but the the thing that was most important to me was when I did Machine Gun Wizards at Dark Horse, and you know, thank you, Dark Horse. You know, I was thrilled that they published that, and they were brilliant. Um, but they weren't able to commit to the the story length that I wanted, and that, and you know, I was a new writer at the time. It was a hard sell, and you know, I didn't have an, a name recognition. As a writer, I had one as an artist, which is why we did we did little backups in each issue that I drew to hopefully bring 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 a readership in. So that all they could really do for me was four issues. And Machine Gun Wizards, I planned it out as like a twelve issue story. Um, and so it was very, and we were going to do a second arc, um, and then COVID happened and it, it got cancelled, as many books did, um, and I. No hard feelings towards Dark Horse. They, they did what they had to do. Um, but I felt that if I went with Image, because it wasn't necessarily Image taking the risk, it was me, then I had a better chance to sort of... I've got an idea of what this whole story is, plus Teeth is going to be. I knew that if I took a book to them, there was more chance that I could tell the whole story. And I might not, you know, if it wasn't a success, that might be more of a hardship as we get down towards the later numbers. And But it was, that choice was mine, not the publisher's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a very emotional, it was that choice, but also a very emotional choice. You know, I, I, I emailed Eric, uh, Eric Stevenson, and I, I phrased it as I kind of want to come home because that's where I began. Um, and I've loved working for Marvel and I'm loving working for DC. You know, and I've been very fortunate. I've worked for almost, even just with covers, I've worked for every major publisher. And they've all been great. And I, I love working with everyone. I mean, I love 
Boom was fantastic. I love doing regular covers for them, and you know they're quite keen to do stuff with me as a writer. But Image just felt like a kind of like a natural thing to do, mm-hmm. um, and it was really nice. It was nice to do, and and Eric's been very supportive of me in my whole career, and also of me being a writer my whole career. So it wasn't it wasn't a kind of even before we started talking about Bloodstained Teeth, it wasn't really a hard sell because he knew how important it was to him. To me, rather, um, so that's why it was the image, and it had to be image. Really, there was there was nobody any other choice. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a lovely answer. Actually, great yeah. to great to hear. Great to hear. Yeah. Well, you've said bloodstained teeth is designed as an ongoing. You had mentioned, you know, you had twelve issues in mind for machine gun wizards, that kind of thing. Do you have a set length in mind for the story of bloodstained teeth? I mean, it, it's tricky. Uh, I mean, part of it is is obviously. I've got to kind of keep my, I've got to keep Patrick in mind, you know, and it's also what he wants to do. Um, I mean, I would say it, it's, I mean, it, it's the, I, the story that I've got in mind is around 12 issues. But, but, but when you read the, the first issue, you'll get a sense that it, it could be longer than that. It could be smaller than that, um, depending on the sales. But the, the full story that I've got is around 12 issues. But what I think I would quite like to do is to treat it almost like Sean and Ed do with their criminal series, that we would tell the story that I have in mind at the moment, because already I'm starting to branch up, look look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that, and the world building and the the kind of the Mm. the story within the world. Um, I would like, I, I could see us coming back and telling a whole different story with different characters but within the world. But, it, you know, it, it depends on, one, how readers respond and, and whether they really love it. Two, on whether Patrick, you know, my co-creator, whether he wants to continue doing it. Uh, or, you know, he may, you know, I've said to him, you know, you could have DC. He's a big DC fanboy. He, you know, he would love to do a Batman book or, you know, something like that or a Constantine book, um, you know. And if, if somebody knocks on his door after we've done, you know, ten issues and says, "Do you want to do Batman or something?" I want it to be his choice. I don't want him to feel like he's beholden to me mm-hmm. and he's got to do, you know, twenty-four issues of Plus Stone Teeth, uh, unless, of course, he wants to. Um, so. That's why I'm thinking that we're going to aim for sort of 10 to 12. Um, we'll see how the sales go um, and then maybe do more. But it's, I mean, you guys know better than anyone that, that you can't predict these things. And, and, and I would be naive if the story I had in mind was like 40 issues because it's just, you know, even if you are a really hot comic, you know, those sales can drop off. Uh, lots of things can affect it. But what I will say is I have story beyond the story that I have planned if needed. I uh, I wonder, did uh, did Kieran Gillen on uh, Once in Future and uh, James Tenney in the fourth on Something is Killing the Children think the same thing before before those exactly. exploded? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I think 100% they both did. I mean, having spoken to them, they, they yeah, they both yeah. did. I mean, I, I, I love the comic and that the, you start reading it, you'll I think you'll see more, but I think the the story is kind of endless, really. I could kind of keep writing that world for a long time. 
you, you said you said two of our two of one of our favorite phrases world building <laughs> so, so i mean with regard to uh with regard to the covers i see you have a variant from uh, from our buddy Declan shelby for issue one and martin simmons of uh, department of truth room for issue two any other upcoming variant artists you can tell us about or is there a wish oh, list you'd can. like to come on board i mean i've I've shared a lot of them on, on social because I was it occurred to me, you know, a lot of variant covers get held back for when the solicits. I was like, hang on a minute, I'm the boss. I can show them off whenever <laughs> I want, so I have been. Um, so, yeah, so we've got so issue one. We've got we've got Declan. We've got that amazing variant from Patrick himself. I don't know if you've seen that. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, and then Jamie's done one. Jamie McKelvey's done one for us. And then I've done another one because why not? It didn't cost me anything. Um, so we've got those. And then on issue two, we've got Martin. Um, fantastic. Uh, and then issue three, we've got that amazing Treadmore. It's just incredible. Um, and issue four, we've got a... Um, he's not necessarily a comic book artist, but he's an artist that I really love. Alex Ekman. Oh, he does really cool collage uh, art. He's done a couple of variant covers for Ice Cream Man, an image. Really creepy stuff where he layers photographs on top of each other. Really nice, really unlike anything else. So he, he's done the issue that I'm going to do some art in as well, which I was really thrilled about. So that's for issue four. Issue five, we've got Scott Forbes, um, who does a very sexy vampire. That was my one note to him. Make it sexy, and he bloody did. Um, and then we've got, uh, I've just got uh, Michael Walsh and uh, Andrea Sorrentino. Sorrentino, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah uh, they're going to do our, the start of us. So we're going to do two variants for the start of our second arc, which is issue six. Uh, Abigail Harding is doing our issue seven. Uh Tula Latte is doing that issue uh, eight. Um, who's doing that issue nine? I forget. Uh, but I, I'm, you've, you've got us. Yeah, I'm pretty well planned. I'm yeah, quite organised. I'm pretty. And do you know what? You know, this is. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've got lots of good pals and people that you know respect what I do and I respect what they do. And there's lots of, you know. Lots of favors, you know. I've done covers for them. They, they'll do a cover uh, for me. And it's great, you know, because you, you know, you want to support their work. And I mean, I might do something for Old Dog, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Blessing, blessing. Um, so uh, you know, and it's and it's lovely, and it, you know, you get to work with your friends and the people you chat with while you're working, and they, they, you know, they, they do you a cover, you know, and it's that that's the great thing about the comic book community as you say you know you'll do deck will do a cover in your book you'll do one on his michael waltz will be asking you to write a story for silver coin next i would bloody love to he's not he's not asked me yet i keep hitting well we're putting it out there we're putting it out there he's not read the first issue of this yet he might change his mind when he's read it (laughs) kicking me door down <laughs> so yeah guys so yeah bloodstained teeth as uh, as christian says april 27 2022 of course get it on your pull list now we've already several people in our store who already have but if you haven't get Very it really well on there so you've got that and then of course you had mentioned yourself there aquaman andromeda coming out later this year as well dc black label title you're working on with ram v i mean tell us a little bit about that i've always wanted to do a prestige dc book 
But I've always, like, I remember going to, um, like, comic stores when I was really young. And I remember picking up um, Batman Full Circle. Do either of you know that? Batman Full Circle? Yeah, yeah. It was a, was it a prestige thing by Michael uh, Michael Bar- Mike Barr. And it was drawn by Alan Grant. No, um, Alan Davis. And it was um, it was kind of the return of the Reaper from year two. Um, and it was like a prestigious thing. Really nice, like, you know, soft, softback kind of issue. And it was just such a, ni- uh, such a nice object. I really, really loved it. Marvel didn't really, I'm sure they did do it, but it wasn't anything that I kind of come across from Marvel. And I've always loved how DC love the object of the comic book, you know, the physical object. I've always wanted to do one. I mean, I've been knocking on DC's door for years. Hey, can I come in yet? Carl, I've just done this book. Can I come in yet? And, um, and it's taken me a long time. And then I think it's because, you know, I've got quite an idiosyncratic sort of style. I've just not quite been able to sort of get my foot in the door. Um, lots of editors there have, have kind of, you know, always liked me, but it's never quite happened. And so it started to, you know, last year, it started to sort of happen there slowly, in covers and some shorts and things. And the response to each one was always really, really good. And obviously in the back of my mind, I was like, I really want to do like a real prestige thing. So when I started doing the black labels, it just felt like the obvious choice to be able to do a, you know, a, a mainstream character in a very kind of indie way, in a very kind of just like, you know, doing it in your way. And I was actually, I was actually supposed to be doing a, an image book after um, Invisible Kingdom. Well, after I finished Head Wounds and then Invisible Kingdom, I was going to do an image book. Um, and then they offered me, I got an email from DC offering me Aquaman with Ram. And the pitch was just so me. It was unbelievable because it's, you know, and I love doing space stuff. Obviously, I'm quite known for being quite cosmic, but what I really love is underwater horror and sci-fi. You know, I'm a big fan of like The Abyss, one of my favorite films. And (laughs) I mean, I love The Abyss, but even like really kind of like straight to DVD, straight to DVD and video movies like The Leviathan. Do you remember Leviathan years Uh ago? Um, And like more recently, Underwater. And it's just something about the alienness of, of a place on our planet that's so mysterious and deadly, as deadly as space is, that yeah. I just, I've always really, really loved. And so it was just, and that was like Ram's pitch, that this was kind of event horizon underwater with Aquaman. Uh, I thought, God, yes, <laughs> what? And, it, you know, when you do... When you're looking for projects, you you kind of looking one to not retread your own ground, but two not to really as much as you can retread someone else's ground. And Aquaman's never had a book like this uh, where you know he's not got his you know Dark Knight Returns. He's not got his you know his the book that everyone thinks of when they think of that character. I mean, he's got great runs, of course, but. It, as an object, as a kind of like one-off physical thing, he hasn't really had that. Um, 
you know, like you know, like submariners. Um, is it the depths? The submariner yes, book yep, with yep, it's had with it, you know. And so it was. It was very, very tantalising. But as I said, kind of like I hadn't signed on a dotted line for this for the other book that I was going to draw with a with another artist with another writer. But it would just. It just felt that working on Aquaman was just so kismet kismet and it was me and I should do it uh, and obviously you know you know Ram's great and I've known Ram for literally years Ram came up to me at Super Comic-Con, Super Comic-Con in London must be about eight years ago nine years ago um, as someone wanting to get into comics and kind of came and asked me for some advice as he was asking lots of people you know, and, and I, you know, and I was struck then. He had the first few pages of Black Mamba, the the book that he self published, and it was really, really good. And then, and then, like a year or so later, he he self published that, and he came to Thought Bubble and gave me a copy as a kind of thank you for kind of giving him some advice as he did with everyone that that had helped. And he was, it, it was right then you knew he was going to be a voice because it was just so clear. He, what he was doing in his storytelling. People often talk about artists having a, you know, being recognisable from the shelf. Yeah. And, and I think Ram is in that way as a writer. His stuff's very recognisable, what he does. You know what you're going to, well, I say you know what you're going to get. You, you don't necessarily know what's yes. going on in the story because his stuff's quite unpredictable, but you know, you know, the cadence of it is going to be quite unusual and you know the sort of thing that he's going to do. Um, so I've you know been getting to work with Ram was another plus. Um, so basically it was just like okay, you know we put the other image thing on the shelf and then um, I kind of committed to, to to do an Aquaman and um, yeah it's been really good it's been really fun and it's lovely to do obviously we're doing a black label album format so it's a bigger page more kind of like more square and that's been fun just to have more real estate to play with and challenge myself with page designs and do something a little bit different to what I've done before. And, and, you know, each page I've kind of tried to make it a bit more visual. Like there's, there's very few pages where there are gutters. Everything is image laid upon image, laid upon image. Um, and in the way that oh, one of my favorite books is We Free by, uh, yes, yes. Frank. And I love how that, that deals with time, you know, all those panels. And I wanted to do something in this that dealt with pressure and layers, and the idea of depth, because we're kind of doing that because of the story. It's all set at the bottom of the ocean, but it's also about the characters having depth. And as we go through the story, the, the layers of these characters are kind of revealed and the pressure re- reveals these layers. So I wanted the, a visual idea of, panels on top of panels on top of panels on top of a larger panel so it's been really cool i've really enjoyed it. it's really invigorated me as an artist again yeah i mean after doing those big fold-out pages in in odyssey a larger format book for you is you know easy peasy 
Easy. I'll, I'll knock up tonight before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking at it in the previews books, I mean, you know, I'll massage the ego a little bit more. I mean, the preview art looks incredible. You know, I've I've seen in the solicits that the title has been described as sort of cosmic horror. I mean, is that obviously you're well known for slightly otherworldly style art, but that aesthetic, is that 100% you or was that Ram or is that a collaborative process then? Oh, it's, a, it's, it's just collaborative. I mean, it... it, it he would have done a cosmic horror if I hadn't done it. Do you know what I mean? If I hadn't come onto the book, it was still going to be a cosmic horror. He would have just got another artist on board. I mean, that's what ensnared me, really, that he was going to do a kind of cosmic horror. It's very, um, there's an element of kind of quite Lovecraftian, quite kind of, you know, otherworldliness. You, you said um, the magic word there to Keith. Speaking my language. <laughs> oh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's really good. It's it's really it's really creepy. Um, there's a real sense of um, dread that kind of like like slowly pulls you in. It's going to be. I think it's going to. People are going to be quite surprised by it. And the way he uses Aquaman is really interesting in his kind of story, which is why I kind of responded to Aquaman in a really visually different way because kind of Ram was kind of allowing that because of how he was approaching the character in a far more mythic way. It's, it's cool. It's very cool. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll not try and te- tempt you to give anything else away because uh, <laughs> you're, really, you're really teasing us here. But, you know, with Bloodstained Teeth, obviously, you had complete creative freedom. Uh, how does that compare to, to, to working on Aquaman for DC? I mean, it, it, it's a different part of your brain. I think working on a, a black label book like, like you know, Aquaman... There, there's still a huge amount of creative freedom there. I mean, I certainly don't feel I'm not sending any pages in or any designs in and being told you can't do that. You know, that's not and that's not going to work. I think you know Chris Con- Conroy, the the editor on the book. You know, they're so he's so smart. As are a lot of kind of like the black label DC editors because it's all about who they choose. Once you're selected, you've been chosen to do the thing that you do. So I don't have to sit here and think, okay, I've got to fit myself into a DC mold because I've been chosen to be Christian Ward. So I'm just going to be me and allow my ideas to naturally flow in the same way that they did when I was on um, Invisible Kingdom or even Odyssey. You know, I'm not being boxed in by the parameters of working on a licensed character within the kind of the confines of a black label book it's much broader and i can be you know i mean did you guys read um uh wonder woman dead earth is dead earth dead earth that was yeah. uh the, that was my book of the year the year it came oh. out it was stunning it was the thing meets wonder woman it was outstanding and it's just crazy you know there's no he daniel doesn't hold back at all there's no punches pulled there's no attempt to you know soften any kind of deviations from the character um but it still feels like wonder woman it doesn't feel like it's it's not her it feels like a wonder woman story but it's so out there and crazy and i think that's what's so amazing about the black label that they bring in really exciting creators which i'm very grateful and feel privileged to be among now and to and they say you do what you do but just do it with this character. It kind of feels like we're almost doing like cover versions of these characters <laughs> in our own rock and roll style. You know, it's wicked. I love it. 
<laughs> and uh, at the minute, I don't think anyone's doing more rock and roll than Daniel Warren Johnson. <laughs> no, God, no. Did you see his new book being announced Oh, today? wrestling oh, book. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Oh, God, he's so good. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it must be great to know you're in demand, obviously, with the big two, as you say, you were chosen for this Black Label book based on your art. You know, it's not like you had the audition or pitch. You know, you're in demand yeah. with the big two. I mean, does that take the pressure off creator-owned work at all? Or do you put yourself under more pressure because the success of, certainly with Bloodstained Teeth, relies solely on yourself and Patrick? Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, it takes the pressure off in regards to... I always, I always view like kind of like the big two stuff as like the day job, and so I can afford like so I basically I I managed to arrange a small advance on Bloodstained Teeth, so that I can make sure that Patrick is is fed, and like he's able to pay his bills and 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 everything, and I don't make any money on it, uh, and anything like kind of any covers that need to be paid for I've paid for them I've paid for the letterer. I paid for for Hass, uh, and I paid for Heather, the the um, the editor, um, and obviously I can do that because DC are paying me as a comic book artist, so I've got a revenue to come in there. So I don't necessarily, if if Bloodstained Teeth doesn't hit, um, I know that Patrick's fine, and I've basically been able to express myself creative creatively, and I haven't had to worry. Oh, this has got to be a hit. I mean, I just think I was talking about this with some someone last night. That when you're doing creator own books, I think if you go into a creator own book with a expectation that you're writing a book to to make money, that's the only goal you want to make money, or you want the book to be turned into a TV show, you want the book to be turned into a film, and that's the only goal. Then I think your project is just going to kind of it's not going to connect and it's going to fall apart. And I think I'm very privileged to be working for Marvel and DC and at the moment DC, because it allows me not to worry about a financial, it doesn't matter if the book doesn't sell. I know I've sorted Patrick out. He's fine. He's looked after. I'm fine because I'm earning money and get money elsewhere. And it means I can just have integrity with the story and I can just tell the story that I want to tell and explore the themes and have a discussion about the things that I want to have a discussion about. And I'm making the book because it's a story I really want to tell with an artist I really want to work with. And I don't have to worry if it doesn't sell. And I think that's really, I mean, not everyone can make comics that way because you have to make a living. I mean, comics is a job and sometimes you have to make a comic that you sells and to put food on your table i mean it's just like any job you have to you know in comics is tough but i'm very privileged because i've essentially got two jobs that i can i can allow one to take the risk of the other i gotta ask uh, quickly about machine gun wizards which i absolutely loved well i mean <laughs> you mentioned early on about uh you know about how you know you didn't quite get to, to fulfill the, the story the way you wanted to uh, you know, because of various things at Dark Horse and, and the pandemic and so forth. But yeah. it must it must buoy you a little bit to see, for example, you know, Image picking up Arrowsmith from uh, Kurt Busiek and Carlos Pacheco some years later from, you know, they picked it up from a, a previous publisher. So you never know. There's hope. There's hope. No, there's, there's definitely a chance to sort of do that. Um, 
I mean, I, I love that world. Um, and it's, there's a lot of story there. I mean, like, you know, the, the first book ends with essentially a cliffhanger. Yeah. I mean, the idea is, I mean, for anyone that hasn't read it, the, the first book ends with, with you know, there is there is less, you know, the idea of the lick, this, this thing you consume that can turn, give everyone magical powers. And there's less of it left in Chicago. And I was really going to, where we were going to go after that was going to be really cool. I was going to tie in the torso killer uh-huh. um, that, that Elliot Ness dealt with. And um, oh, it was going to be wicked. It was going to yeah, be so yeah. much fun. Uh, but yeah, one day, one day, hopefully, you know. But I also, you know, Dark Horse were very supportive of that. And, you know, part of me feels, is it a bit disrespectful to sort of like, you know, a publisher that has been supportive of a ever title to take that away from them yeah. i don't know but you know who knows maybe one day yeah. I'd, well, say, I'd love to work with sammy again regardless he was great well, whatever, whatever you do with it i've got your bag anyway <laughs> brilliant i've got one sale <laughs> well uh you've been ridiculously uh generous with your time we're just going to wind down just with a, a few questions to finish off uh i mean you, you've you've talked about obviously working with DC and so forth. I mean, I absolutely adored the Batman Secret Files, the Gardener. I thought it was one sure, of the yeah. best tie-ins to oh, Batman, and you. and again, it was very individual compared to the very house style of a lot of other ones. And also, mm. Superman Red and Blue number three, and I know you worked on as well. I mean, I think that anthology title is exceptional. Uh, are there any pre-established characters that you'd like to work on in the future that you haven't had a chance uh, to yet? I don't think my time with Batman is done. Um, like I love Batman, and I I feel like I'd love to do some like you know we talked about um you know Arkham Asylum. I'd love to do something of that scale, you know, with Batman, Constantine. You know, Oof. oh yeah, I'd love to do. I mean, it's loads. I you know I I you know I'd love to do more Swamp Thing. Um, uh, but I, I think Constantine's the the one that feels like he'd be a really good fit i'd have fun with him there's probably other people that are just in the back of my head but those are the main ones bizarro i'd love to do a bizarro thing i think that'd be wicked i mean to do like a cosmic superman but like a kind of like a fractured mirror version would i think that would be really fun i don't know if you, you had a chance to catch size Spurrier's hellblazer um a couple of years oh, back oh god what a what a Cut, cut so short good. in its prime as well. I mean, it's just, so good. Oh, man. It's so good. <laughs> so good. Well, it's seven to one now. I mean, like, yeah, yeah it absolutely. was. Uh, it was cut short, but, like, but, you know, those 12 yeah. issues, they're just like, they Fantastic. are perfect. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Totally really agree. Good. Well, you know, moving from characters, uh, you know, to creators, are there any uh, creators out there whose work you're particularly enjoying at the moment? Anything you take your fancy over, over lockdown or since? Well, like I say, I, I, like, I, reading is really difficult to sort of like mm. grasp. I mean, what going back to Sai, I mean, what him and Mateus are doing on Step by Bloody Step is phenomenal. Wonderful first issue. I mean, just, yeah. re- oh my God, just like, you know, brilliant stuff. Really, really, really brilliant stuff. I mean, I also love, you know, James Tynan um, and um, uh, what he's doing uh, with uh, on... Um, the house by the lake. Nice house, nice house the lake. by the lake. Um, I oh the the co-creator artist his name escapes me. Alvaro uh, Martinez Bueno. Yes, yeah. of course, of course. I mean his stuff on that is just 
phenomenal. I mean, I mean that that first issue when I read that first issue. I mean, I'm very fortunate to be married to someone who like really like she Catherine really loves stories and fiction and, and you know, film and TV, and she's not closed minded that that she won't read a, a comic. But there's only there's certain select comics that I'll be like, it has to be of a certain level to be like, read this, and that I know she'll be like, this is amazing, and that's one of the you know one of the comics, you know, I know when I've read something fantastic, I'm like. Catherine will love this. You know, a non-comic book reader will just absolutely lap it up. So that's that's really good, and that's one that I make time to read every month. I mean, they had a bit of hiatus, but when it comes, it's now that it's back to read every month and just every show. Just like, whoa! <laughs> it was, and, of, and of course, yeah. you know, Department of Truth with Martin. I mean, Martin's just brilliant. Martin's the nicest, nicest man in comics. I mean, he's so lovely, and for him to have this huge hit. But he's so rightly earned is 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 really heartwarming and you know and then with the issues and it's just like oh god everyone is perfect uh, yeah totally so, totally scratches my x files itch uh you oh, know. totally, totally. <laughs> while, really while also i guess poking fun at the you know the the state of the world today uh you know yeah, and just how perfectly timed yeah I mean, unbelievable like guy stuff yeah yeah, yeah. pretty good yeah, you're you're speaking our language with some of those books there. Yeah, we yeah, they're yeah. consistent uh shout outs for those titles, certainly on our reviews podcast yeah. and so forth. So doesn't but, surprise me. Yeah, just absolute quality. I mean, I, I like to think that and I mean hopefully this is gonna be the same with with Bloodstained Teeth as well. I think we're in a an absolute golden age of independent creator owned comics. I I think I the agree. current the current run of titles are of such quality that it's it's up there with that early 2010 boom or 2010s boom with Image. It's up there with the Vertigo Golden Period. You know, your Why the Last Man, your Preacher, your Hellblazer, etc. I just think independent comics. I mean, on our pod we we joke that I'm Mr. DC, Keith's Mr. Marvel, but we both read more indie books than DC and Marvel <laughs> combined. You know, so it's a, it is a really really exciting time in comics. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I we agree. we always like to finish interviews with the with the same big question, and uh, it's it's flummoxed a, a creator or two along the way, I can assure you. But uh, and this is the joy of editing as well; we can edit out any pauses. But uh, <laughs> pre warning in advance. <laughs> but do you have a do you have a favorite DC title slash series of all time? A favorite Marvel title slash series of all time, and a favorite indie title slash series of all time. Right. So, well, the DC one you can probably guess. Arkham Asylum. Uh, it's got it's got to be Arkham Asylum. Imagine if I just come with something completely different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Arkham Asylum. I mean, to this day, I can pick that up and just get lost in it. And it's so weird because it, it's um, there's not from a story point of view, there's not much there. No. Especially when you compare it to Grant's other work, which is so dense and full of world building, and just like you know, you know, he'll have like one panel which is in, has enough ideas in it for someone else's whole miniseries. Whereas, you know, Arkham Asylum is this weird dreamlike, and it really is nightmarish as you kind of float through the story and you're kind of pulled through it. And it it, it, it just works on such an emotional level that I, whenever I read it, I'm pulled back to this teenager me just having eyes like saucers and just reading this thing that was frightening and scary and strange and unsettling in a way that a comic had never been before that's that's always stayed with me and i don't think it'll ever be topped by anything um just because of that that nostalgia i have for it marvel my favorite marvel comic is probably 
far more contemporary and it would be um mark mark wade's run on daredevil um particularly when he got you know when chris samney was brought in i mean even, but even before when chris samney was on that first issue of his daredevil we launched with the um i forget what the character's called but the character with all the holes in um at that wedding um and it was just so it was so full of energy and invention and joy for you know the marvel universe and the marvel characters and it was so nice to read a superhero book that was just like joyously full colors and just bright and just fun and just you know zany gets thrown around around like a kind of insult but it, it was zany but in a really nice way and it's why i'm really excited to see what he's going to do with dan on world's finest that was just come out today um because i think he's he's bringing the same sort of energy to that so i think that's going to be a book to to look out for this, uh... um this is a, it's not a visual medium, so uh, so our listeners won't have, whatever you said, Wade and Sammy's Daredevil won't have seen Alan tilt back in his chair and yeah. wipe his arms in satisfaction. <laughs> One of the absolute greatest, the greatest Daredevil run of all time. People can Isn't keep it? their Millers and keep their Bendises, and what Chip's oh. doing at the moment is amazing. But that that's an era of Marvel I loved because... I didn't yes. really read yeah. Amazing Spider-Man and Avengers and Fantastic Four. I was reading yeah. Dan Slott's Silver Surfer. I was reading Mark Wade's Daredevil. I was reading G. Willow Wilson's Miss Marvel. I was reading the sort of fringe characters, but there was such joy and imagination to it. Yeah. So I was, I'm really, really happy that, uh, really happy that you pulled that one out of the bag. Yeah, I love it. I love it to bits. I think it's just wonderful. Um, I've got, um, I've got Chris Sandy's artist edition of Daredevil. And it's just oh. Just amazing. Um, really good. And it, my indie book is um, uh, going back a little bit, but, but again, not too far. It's probably Sixth, sixth Gun, The Sixth Gun. That's the one that I really, really love. Um, yeah, it, it, something about that really resonates with me. Um, just that whole kind of the Western kind of the magic. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and actually now saying it out, out loud, I see the DNA of that in Machine Gun Wizards. Don't try and say me, Colin, please. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, no, I, re- I really love Six, six Gun Wizards. Um, not Six Gun Wizards, I'm mixing them up. <laughs> the Six Gun. Um, that's probably a big one. But uh, the thing with, with indie books, like image books and Dark Horse and, and you know, which is, is, is I feel like they change more, more frequently. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, a few years ago, I might have said, why the last man? Um, because that had a really profound effect on me as, you know, following a long story through. And that's one of the few comics I've cried at. I mean, the last issue of that, I basically cried. Um, and I don't think I've done that with with many books um, or any books. Um, so that had a real emotional impact on me. Um so Alan's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Alan's maybe favorite of all time. Why the last man there? Yeah, that's my yeah. personal favorite DC Marvel, and it doesn't matter. That's just that's a once a year read for me. Yeah, it's it's a cracking cracking book. It's one of those two, probably. I mean, I think I think you know, Six Gun isn't necessarily the seminal book that Why the Last Man is, or or you know the you know the important book that it is. Um, 
but it, there's just something about that that scratches an itch that I, mm. you know, it's it's like, you know, when a book is just like feels like it's been tailor made to the very specific things that you like, that's what that book does. Yeah, that's uh, I, I I have equally have a same as maybe yourself. Uh, the Wild West and the uh, the Prohibition era are two uh, are two eras that really that really grab me. So. Oh, I can recommend a book to you. It's called Machine Gun Wizards, and it's <laughs> really? uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic, excellent. So you came to those three conclusions pretty quickly. So I'm uh, I'm always happy to see that. I mean, it, it's such a it's such an existential question to just ask. You know, what's your favorite of all time? But certainly with indie books, yeah, it sometimes even depends what mood you're in. But Oh, that that yeah, daredevil uh, answer has just made my night. So I thank you yeah, for that. And, no problem. <laughs> you know, sometimes you'll you'll get people listening to the podcast, and uh, and uh, you know they'll they'll come into the store and go, oh, hear that podcast where you interviewed Christian Ward. He was talking about Sick Gun. Could I grab that? You know what I mean. So that's yeah. it's part of the reason we do it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, you, and you and you want to share what you love, don't you? Yeah. You want to kind of like it's like giving your friends your favorite thing, and yeah, you know, hope that they love it as well. And no, speaking speaking love. of that, Christian, uh, you were talking about Chris Samney. Uh, have you picked up Robert Kirkman's Firepower? I mean, no disrespect to, to to Robert, but I don't read that book. Do you know what I mean? It's because I just get lost. I mean, I buy, I get it every, every month. It's just he must, Robert must just be like, yeah, Chris, just like kung fu. Okay, page ten, ten to twelve, kung fu. Okay, talk, talk, talk. Uh, Kung Fu. You know, it's like, like, and Chris just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like every sequence is just so beautifully choreographed. I mean, I love his um, Black Widow that he did with Mark. Yeah. Like it's, it feels like a lesser book to Daredevil, but like, my God, it's so beautifully orchestrated and, and just put together that, you know, you could see things moving on his pages like yeah. they Kin- kinetic kinetic oh my god he's yeah. a master i hate him as well <laughs> god, there's a lot, 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 lot of hate flowing it's like a, it's like a sit reunion here today um, <laughs> christian you have been remarkably generous with your time with us this evening we, we we said an hour and we're still here you know quite a long time later i feel like we could we could yarn about this sort of stuff all night um well, you know but well, thank uh, you but... for having me you know, and thank you for the support and everything that you do for for, for the whole industry oh it's an absolute pleasure so it is and it's been a pleasure chatting to you, as i say it's always great to chat with creators and see that they have the same enthusiasm for the industry and for for other creators work as well that, that we certainly have and yeah, we all hear Chris Somney. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you just a very quick story about Chris Somney and why he's such a nice guy. So, as a store, we we got sent the um a, the Oblivion song uh, door length poster for Robert Kirkman and Robert mm-hmm. Kirkman series. And when Firepower came out, we didn't get sent an equivalent one. I saw one on Twitter and sort of looked at it, and I put it out on Twitter just as a bit of fun. I sort of went oh, damn, we never received this. It would have looked great in store next to the Oblivion song one. And Chris Somney private messaged me and said, give me your address, I will send you one. And about a month later, it <laughs> came in the post, along with a little postcard where he had drawn a cup of coffee, because obviously we're called Coffee and Heroes. And he uh, he just said, thanks for the support, Coffee and Heroes, enjoy the poster. I have that poster framed Aww. in our store. What a guy. <laughs> you can't so hate cool. him. You can't hate him. No, no, I, mean, I don't hate him, really. I just, you know wish that his hand would be horribly mangled. 
in a in a very painless way. I mean, yes, I'm of missing, course, of course, missing. of course. Yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah. to keep going, but you know, you, you, there are certain people in the industry that you just you, you know you look up to. You think I just yeah. they're so godlike. You just you can't I can't even get close to like, what he does. It's magic, amazing, man. amazing. <laughs> Well, we'll uh, we'll certainly call it there, as I say. So, uh, yeah, as we've mentioned a few times, Bloodstained Teeth, of course, coming from Image Comics. It's arriving April 27th uh, of this year. And then Aquaman Andromeda, Christian's other big title, I would say, this year is hitting around June, I believe, the 7th of June. Uh, yes. So another one to look That's forward it. to there from uh, with Ram V and at Bloodstained Teeth, just to mention again, Patrick Reynolds on art there as well. So a massive thanks again to Christian Ward. It has been a pleasure, sir. And, You're welcome. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope we can touch base sometime in the future again. Best of luck. Yes, that'd be lovely. Excellent. Thanks again. See you again. Bye. Cheers. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.